Welcome to Homegrown Conversations, a collaboration between KFSK and the Petersburg Public Library. I'm Kari Peterson. Today I'm talking with Karen Dillman about her recent assignment with the U.S. Forest Service in the San Bernardino National Forest in Los Angeles, California. She is an ecologist with the U.S. Forest Service, trained in air quality for forest fires. Welcome, Karen. Hi, Kari. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you for coming on. So, um, can you... So normally you live here in Petersburg and you work on the Tongass National Forest. Mm -hmm. Uh, Can you tell us what you normally do across the Tongass? Sure. So, um, so I'm an ecologist for the Tongass National Forest and, um, I work in rare plants, um, invasive plants. I work in vegetation uh, mapping, which is, um, a technology that uses satellite imagery to, um, to map the vegetation on the forest. I also work in air quality monitoring in wilderness areas. Um, and I do a lot of NEPA. So um, there's just a lot of different things that ecologists do here and botanists. So I'm also a botanist, but um, my title is ecologist. So I work across the whole forest from Yakutat to Ketchikan. Okay. So what prompted you to go to California? <laughs> well, um, well, I knew that this year was um, particularly bad. Uh, obviously, everybody heard about the fires down there. And about five years ago, um, I was given the opportunity to be trained to be what's called an air resource advisor on wildfires. And um, it's a program that uh, is every year getting more and more necessary because of our large fires and how the impacts of the smoke from those fires impact so many people. And, um, and so the, the training um, I took down in Boise and that um, prompted me to then go on fires to practice that training and become skilled at it. So I've gone just about every year for the last five years on a particular uh, assignment. And this year, uh, I put myself available after kind of toward the end of our fiscal year, which is the end of September. Okay. And um, I knew that, you know, my time, I could, I could squeeze it in um, uh, and, and still complete all my other assignments here on the Tongass. And I wanted to participate and, um, and work on a fire. So I didn't know where I was going to go. I just put myself available, they call it, on a database. And then um, I was called the next day. Oh wow! To go to to go to LA. <laughs> that expecting it to be so fast. Oh well, because uh, because of these fires being so large, and so many people impacted by the smoke for the particular program that I'm in, um, they needed people all the time because you're only allowed to be on a fire for about two weeks, and okay. so people time out. So I was replacing somebody who was timing out that weekend. And so I knew I was going to go somewhere on Thursday. I put myself available Friday and I left Saturday. So that's how fast it was. Um, and I didn't get, have time to say, no, I really don't want to go to LA. <laughs> 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 kind of take what I got. <laughs> yeah. So I do want to back up a little bit there. Uh-huh. 
um, you said that you've gone someplace for the past five years. Can you tell us about other places you've gone? Oh, yeah. Oh, gosh. I um, Two years ago, I was working in Bryce Canyon National Park. So not only Forest Service fires, but National Park Service fires. Um, and they manage their fires a little different. They don't put them out necessarily. And this, um, this was a smaller fire in Bryce Canyon, but because of the um, sensitivity of the of the national park and the community surrounding it and their, their tourist, um, you know, the tourist base, they didn't want smoke in their park or in their vicinity. And so the park service needed a smoke monitor. That was me. And um, so, and then I could forecast of where the smoke was going to go. So then people could know which days they could go where, which places would be cleaner, when the days are going to be bad, things like that. Um, another time I got to go to Southern Arizona, those sky islands that are down there. If, if anybody's ever been down to Tucson and, and uh, east of Tucson and the Chiricahuas, there's some really cool mountain forests there. And so I got to spend time on that forest. I've also been to Eastern Washington and also around Boise National Forest. So that was a big fire. But this one um, down in LA was completely different than any of those. Okay. Because of the people, because of the city. Such, can you tell us a little bit about um, about what the San Bernardino National Forest is? Because when I think LA, I've been to LA <laughs> and San Diego. It's just like one nonstop city. Yeah. And so when I heard you say that it was in LA. I was like, really? Uh-huh. <laughs> I know. I know. I. I seriously have only been to LA once and I, I don't even think I saw the mountains because it was so polluted. You can't hardly see, you know, 50, 50 miles or, you know, let alone to see the mountains on some days, but the mountains around LA are actually national forests. So there's this, the Angeles national forest, the San Bernardino and the Cleveland, and they all circle around the basin. And that's what creates the basin or creates that they talk about LA being so polluted because they have this mountain range all the way around them, except for the ocean side. So it's really a unique um, climatically and um, you know, how things get held into the basin there. They call it the inland basin where I was. So the San Bernardino, um, for those of you that travel down that way, it's sort of the mountains that um, Palm Springs, you, you would go on highway 10 and go to Palm Springs. You go right through the San Bernardino National Forest and um, Big Bear Lake is another famous place. And that's why um, they wanted an air resource advisor because Big Bear Lake is a a very touristy, very um, nice homes and they don't want smoke. They didn't want smoke to ruin their whatever, their views, their lifestyle. And so we, the Forest Service wanted to um, make sure that they could forecast for Big Bear Lake so then people had an idea of what their quality was going to be. Cause you know, people drive up there from downtown LA. It might take them four hours to get up there. And then it's like the air quality is horrible. So they're not going to want to be there. So that was another reason why they called in an air resource advisor to forecast for big bear Lake, but also for the surrounding communities um, that were going to be impacted by the smoke. Um, and there was two fires actually that I was forecasting for the Bobcat fire and the El Dorado fire, those two, the El Dorado fire was about as big as Mitkoff Island, a little bit smaller than Mitkoff Island. And the um, San Bernardino, or I'm sorry, the LA 
the Angeles National Forest fire, the Bobcat fire was over 100,000 acres. And that was the biggest fire they've ever had in LA. And so they were really on high alert, you know, for this, you know, people were evacuated, homes were destroyed. Um, there was a lot of scrutiny on this fire. And so air quality was also a big concern because it was, there's just so many people there and it's impacting people like more than some of the rural places, you know, and there was nowhere to go too. I mean, you, it was, how do you, you know, you have to pretty much pick up and leave the city and that's hard to do for a lot of people. So, um, so yeah, that was quite, um, quite a large forecast area. I wasn't forecasting for all of LA I was only forecasting for like the, the, the communities that were sort of up against the mountains and um, on the backside of the communities. I didn't forecast for Palm Springs, for example, because I don't think they were impacted too much. Um, so can you kind of walk us through um, what you did, like in California, when you say you forecasted like um, sure. for the what air? What does that mean? What, yeah, what does that mean? What are yeah. the options? Yeah, so, um, well, uh, for air, for EPA, EPA has a um, standards for air quality conditions. And um, here in Alaska, we're usually in the good. And they look at the particulates. And how they do that is they have these machines. There's a thing called a purple air that a person can actually get outside their home. I don't know how much they cost, but they're individual um, monitors. And then you can up to the really classy monitors that are 40, 50 grand. And so there's a lot of them around LA and they're all on a, um, connected on a, on a, on a network on the, online. And then the forest service also has their own um, PM 2.5 monitors. Those are the particulate monitors that measure how much of that particulate matter, 2.5 microns, they're super smooth, super small. It's the smoke particles. Um, and so we have a bunch of those in Rocky Mountain cache, they call it. It's a place where there's dozens of those machines. And then when you go on a fire, you request those machines. And then you set them up in communities of, of concern. And um, sometimes you only get two or three. And then you use the other monitors that are already out there. And then every hour you get, uh, you actually get what, what the pollution level is for that place. And you use models. So I was trained how to use um, models that incorporate like how much fuel is burning on the fire. Um, and then also climate and weather models. And I sit right next to a, a weather forecaster. So in my work group, it would be a weather a meteorologist and then someone also who studies the behavior of the fire and the behavior and the fuel, like what, what the fuel moisture is and what the fuel type is. And that all relates to how much smoke is going to be there. So in the San Bernardino, part of the place, you know, was scrub, like that chaparral that you hear of. Yeah. And not a lot yeah. of trees. And then once the fire got into those trees, oh my gosh, it totally changed the, the smoke conditions. And so it just depends on, you know, what's burning at the time and what is forecasted to burn. So their resource advisor has to pay attention to everything that's going on in the fire. And then also use these models and also use the existing conditions, so to speak, of what particulates are at any given time across the network that you're looking and that you're forecasting. And then there's an actual um, blog. It's called the California Smoke Blog. And uh, every state has one. Oregon has one. Washington has one. Idaho. 
And so if you have family members that live in those states that are impacted by smoke, you can find those blogs and they'll put out a fork. You'll see a forecast there from someone like myself um, for different communities. And it's all kind of divided up by region. So, you know, I was in LA, so I was the LA inland basin, they call it. But then there's people up there in the Sierras that are doing it of California, all the way up to Washington state, Idaho, Montana, Colorado. And so um, each state will have um, a blog. And then uh, I think you're going to show the link um, after this story or during the story, the link that anybody can go to. Called, it's a fire and smoke map. And um, you can go there. Um, it's a GIS based thing, but you, you open up the link and you can um, zoom in and see where your family members live. And if there's a monitor there, it'll show the color of uh, the color relates to the air quality conditions. So if it's red or purple, it's not good. If it's green, it's beautiful. <laughs> so, <laughs> so green or yellow is better. Yellow is moderate, which, you know, it's for sensitive people don't want to go running or, or, uh, or young children maybe might, might pick their times to go out. But um, it, it's all about, you know, sensitivity of individuals, individuals that have health concerns or, um, but, but when it gets up to the red or purple, it's like nobody, nobody should be breathing that. And that's what it's like in a lot of places right now. So that's, that's kind of what it, what, what it entails. So um, can you tell us about the sheer volume of the impact of the hazardous air quality that was happening in in the LA area when you were there? Yeah. Well, LA, you know, LA folks are used to polluted air. I mean, a moderate day for LA is a good day. Um, but, um, but yeah, the, the smoke, um, I, it, it was worse before I got there as far as the smoke on the fires that I was on because of the weather. The wind was pushing it right into the LA basin. By the time I got there, the winds had shifted. And so things were kind of going up more into the atmosphere. And then, um, but that wasn't the case for a lot of places um, in Oregon and Washington. The, the smoke was hanging around for a long time. And I heard estimates of 50 million people in the Northwest were affected by hazardous smoke conditions over a course of many weeks. Um, that's a lot of people. Um, in the LA basin, there's 4 million people. And in the greater LA basin, there's I think 23 million people, which is amazing to me to think. Wow. <laughs> number I read. So, um, you know, how many of those people have, are, are um, you know, like just respiratory issues. Um, they say that particulate matter can also uh, make COVID symptoms worse. So there's that issue on top of the concern of particulates in people breathing them, but also, if you're exposed to COVID and you have that on top of it. And so, you know, that's, that's, that was a real, um, I think an issue for, for a lot of the public health people uh, across these states of what's going to happen now, because these people are still in those conditions. Some people can't leave. They keep, they can't leave their houses. And um, well, that's a question I had for you uh -huh. is as you were talking. So would they evacuate places based on um forecasts mm -hmm. yeah um yes they would um because like so 
every day I also had a call with the uh, California Air um, Air Quality Division. So each state has their state regulators as well. And so actually twice a day I'd talk to them and they're the ones that would um, also, um, you know, they're the ones that take care of the blog. I was telling you about the California smoke blog. And so they would work with their counterparts in those communities for sure. And, you know, say, okay, you know, to, to sort of be double, double insurance of letting people know that this is happening, that this is going to happen. It's, you know, two days from now, you might want to think about moving to a different location. I mean, I, I've never been in a community where I don't know, like the steps they take, but it's not just a free for all. I mean, they definitely have a coordinated effort to inform the public. Um, but that wasn't my job. My job was really just to put out the forecast and put it there for um, all to see. And then the public health people then took it from there. Okay, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yes, it does. We're going to take a short break here. Um, if you're just joining us, this is Homegrown Conversations, a collaboration between KFSK and the Petersburg Public Library. I'm Kari Peterson, and today I'm talking with Karen Dillman about her recent assignment with the U.S. Forest Service in the San Bernardino National Forest in L.A. She is an ecologist for the U.S. Forest Service, trained in air quality for forest fires. Um, so back to our conversation I guess um, I was really, I don't know that excited is the right word, but I was kind of excited to talk to you about this um, only because my my brother lives in uh, Humboldt County in Arcata, mm -hmm. and he said that the fires, they're kind of, they're on the coast, so the fires haven't reached them, but the smoke has. Mm-hmm. And there was, I texted him one day asking how he was doing. And he said that they're not so concerned about the fires coming into their communities. It's the smoke. Mm -hmm. And he said that one day the, the sun didn't even come up or the sun came up, but they couldn't ever see it, which I feel like, well, we get a lot of that around yeah. here. <laughs> um, but he said it was, it was orange, Every, it was just orange, and um, and it, he said it played lots of tricks on the mind. Um, I bet it did. And, and then when I was talking to my grandmother, who was in Oregon, um, she's been down there because she was unable to come home because of COVID. She normally spends the winter down there. And um, she's in Oregon, and she when I was talking to her, she said they couldn't open the doors or windows because the smoke was so bad. Wow. And so that's why I was, I was kind of really interested in having yeah. a conversation with you because I feel like there's so many people impacted. Um, Definitely. This year, especially like I, I threw out that figure 50 million and everyone in this community must know somebody or family friends that have to travel down there and maybe were diverted. Um, maybe, canceled their trip because of the poor air quality. I mean, this was, you know, still summertime, you know, and um, recreation was is big, big time down there. Um, people had to stay indoors and it was hot. And during COVID, you know, like the National Forest is the place 
where people have migrated to, right? To kind of get away and nobody could even go out. So I just felt for these people so much in, in these smoky areas that can't go into the forest, can't leave their homes. Um, Yeah. It's, um, it's been a huge impact. And I think, I think it'll um, highlight the program I'm working in even more of the value of it because at least um, at least we're able to provide information to people. I mean, that's really where, you know, you want to be informed, right? Like if your sister, if your aunt living with your, with your grandma, I mean, she, she didn't know like, well, I can smell smoke. If you can smell smoke, then it's not good, but there's different degrees of smelling smoke. You know, there's just, so it's good to know um, what, at what air quality index your location is at to take that risk to go to the store and, or, you know, use that mask or buy a different kind of mask where you won't be breathing it in too much, especially if you have asthma or other things. Yes. Yeah. So um, what was your biggest takeaway from your experience in California this year? Wow. Yeah. Um, I was really moved by, um, I was moved by how degraded, uh, even though it's, you know, federal lands, um, there's degradation there um, due to just the pollution on the, on the organisms that are there. Um, so, for example, I didn't see any lichens, and I'm a lichenologist. I didn't see any lichens in where I was. So the air is so polluted that the lichens are not there. And um, so that was quite striking to me. Usually, especially when you go up high, the air gets a little cleaner uh, over the inversion. And I I did go up and over the pass and I I found um, some lichens growing on, on some trees. They didn't look too great, but the diversity wasn't there at all. And which should be, I'm sure the Sierras have, the Sierras have an incredible well, I wasn't in the Sierras, but you know that same climate um, have incredible lichen diversity, and they didn't have it there in the San Bernardino. Um, and also, just um, uh, how much our forests are valued by people. How much, I guess, where we are in the Tongass, we don't have the pressure of the of tourism like they do down there. And so, I was struck by how um, the sense of solitude wasn't there unless you. You got to hike out in the backcountry. We're here. You go out of the Midcoff Highway and you walk into a muskeg. You're solitude. <laughs> so that was just very striking to me, um, especially since the day before I left, I went in a muskeg, and the day when I came home, I went in the muskeg. I was like, ah, you know, yeah. <laughs> having that memory of being out before I went to that place, and then having a little healing when I came back to go back into our forest and feeling very refreshed and very grateful. Oh, I bet. And I've been reading about that, about um, the effects that COVID has had on the national forests with more people using the national forests across the country this year because of COVID. True. Yes, definitely. I've talked to people, colleagues that were on the fire who were from different places. They said it's some places it's madness. I mean, I saw lots of masks on the ground, you know, litter that was usually wouldn't be there. You know, I saw a lot of blue masks, a lot of rubber gloves, um, 
You know, and the fire I was on also was started by humans, and that's unfortunate. Actually, the other fire was started by um, electrical companies. So both those fires were anthropogenic. They weren't uh, started with um, lightning. And so that was unfortunate because the cost of that, millions of dollars. The fire, the one fire was over $40 million, and it also killed someone and a firefighter. And so, and that was started by a gender reveal party, you know? And so it's like just the impacts of us on the land was really striking to me. Um, I tried not to dwell on it too much, but it's, it's embedded in my mind now after being there for almost two weeks. Yeah. Just, just from, yeah, that just from, yeah, you can't, you can't dwell there. <laughs> no, no, I can't. And, but you know, the people that work on those forests are so dedicated. I mean, then they have different struggles than we have um, in, in Alaska. And so it's just different. It's, and, and like I said, their, their ecosystem is different. It's, it's, it's beautiful, but it's um, like I said, it does have vestiges of, of uh, you could tell it's just been, um, it's been used. Yes. Yeah. So, um, any last words you want to leave us with today? Well, I, you know, I do because I, I am such a proponent of, of air quality. I, I work in air quality on, on the Tongass, which is kind of, people probably laugh at that because like, well, air quality on the Tongass, you know, we have great <laughs> air here, but <laughs> there are places that are polluted in Southeast Alaska. So I guess I, I think about never taking anything for granted of what you do have that is that is unique here. Um, you know, we get pollution from Asia. We get pollution from cruise ships. We get pollution from burning whatever in Southeast. Um, so we're not pristine, but we're certainly um, in the good range most of the time. And I guess to cherish that here, um, our listeners, and uh, not taking that for granted. And yeah, I think that that's kind of what I think about when I come back from fires and, and all the places I've been, um, the, the Tongass has, should be, um, a, is a jewel for that, for the air quality alone. Isn't that the truth? I bet when you come back, I know you said going out into the muskeg and having a little moment to heal, but taking yeah. a big, deep breath of <laughs> air. <laughs> An air that smells like the woods instead of smelling like, yeah, you know, exhaust or of, you know, just whatever else is out there. Um, it smells like the Tongass. Yes. <laughs> Which is home. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, thank you so much for sharing with us today. Oh, sure. You're welcome. Thanks for asking such good questions. And um, if anybody wants to look at that website, you'll have it on there. I'm sure the fire and smoke map. Yeah. Um, and if anybody has any questions on fire with smoke and just, you know, where to find me, the Forest Service. <laughs> Thank you. And we will, we'll put the link um, in the description to the podcast so you can find it at the Petersburg's um, Public Library's website. So, um Thank you for joining us today. This has been Homegrown Conversations, a collaboration between KFSK and the Petersburg Public Library. Today's show will be archived as a podcast on the library's website at www.psglib.org. There will also be a link to the library's website 
at kfsk.org. Any resources discussed during the show will be listed in the podcast description. Um, thank you to KFSK and the Friends of Petersburg Libraries for making today's show possible. And thank you, Karen. Thanks.